good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the third episode of the Youth Pioneers COVID-19 podcast. My name is Naki and I'll be your host for this episode. Uh, I'm the chair of the Wanzhou Youth Council. And one thing that I'm grateful for is, I guess, just the support for my friends. Because although they are very weird and very strange at times, they have been pretty supportive in terms of keeping everything lighthearted, just sending memes and jokes and just keeping it pretty bright. And it just keeps me looking forward to getting back to school. I would have to say the main thing that I'm grateful for uh, would have to be streaming services. So uh, Netflix, Disney Plus, YouTube, um, just because it means that although I'm stuck inside, I can still kind of immerse myself in a different world and kind of get that almost perspective as well. Amazing. I think the thing I'm most grateful for is my sister because she's been delivering food to my door all week and it's brilliant. I'm Fu. I'm the chair of Brandon Union County Council. Uh, the thing I'm grateful for probably my mom because she's like, She's my best friend and she is the person who helped me to get here and I got more opportunities to get a better life in the UK. Hi, I'm Lerin and the thing I'm most grateful for is probably my family because they make me really happy. Hi, I'm Stasia and although sometimes it can be a massive disadvantage, I think something I'm really grateful for is living in the middle of nowhere um, in Dorset because there's loads of really nice um, cycle paths and like forests and fields I like to do your daily exercise in and which is very happy to be around nature. Um, I'm, I'm Jodie I think um, right now um, I hate to say it because it can also be quite a burden but technology just the fact that we've got great technology which is helping us all keep in touch I'm really grateful for that right now. Hi I'm Hannah um, I'm really grateful for the current mindfulness coloring books I bought my nan a few years back we just found them and we've been Using this time in quarantine, she did lots of colouring together, which has been quite cool. Hi, I'm Noah. The thing I'm most grateful for is probably art stuff, so you've got stuff to do. Hi, uh, I'm Carl. I'm the Community Engagement Manager here in the South West for the NCS Trust. Um, I think the thing I'm most grateful for um, is family, actually, and more specifically a family quiz. Um, I've started doing quizzes with family from all over the world since this has started. So I hope that they will continue um, after that as well. Um, hi, I'm Rebecca Roberts. I'm founder of Bread and Fable. Um, thanks for having me on today. And the thing I'm most grateful for, I think, is WhatsApp. Like, all my family are on it. Um, and I can speak to my brother over in the States a lot as well. So I feel quite grateful that we can keep in touch so much. Hi, I'm Darren Cadeney. I'm creator of something called Comms 2.0. The thing I'm most grateful for has been Tiger King. It's kept me entertained, and it's the... <laughs> The TV event of the year. <laughs> Controversial. We can all blame Carol Baskin for this as well now, which is great. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm uh, Dominic. Uh, I'm a freelance uh, communications consultant, uh, doing quite a bit of work at uh, Wandsworth uh, Council at the moment. Um, and I think the things I'm most grateful for, listening to people around the room, it's definitely uh, friends and family. Um, and I think really working out what's important in life, all those kinds of things, all those connections. Um, and also, I'm not sure where we'd be without Zoom. Yeah, I think those are all fantastic. I think 
what I'm most grateful for at this time is that yesterday I finally got around to doing one of those like diamond art things where you do it by numbers and it was just the most entertained I've been for seven hours in a very long time. So I think moving on, one thing I'd also like to point out to our viewers before we really get into talking about social media and what's happening at the minute is that we are the Youth Voice Pioneers, I'm sure Naki told you. Um, but if you want to find out more about any of us, please go to participationpeople.com and if you go up to the tab along the top, you'll be able to find podcasts and you'll be able to listen to the other two that we've recorded before this one. Moving on, how are people feeling about the extension, extension of a three-week lockdown and how do we think was it predictable or how are we feeling that's anything really? I think that um, we, I think in the back of our heads, we knew it was going to happen, even though kind of, kind of getting a bit like cabin fever a bit. I think we all knew it was going to happen and it was a bit like, oh yeah, you knew it was going to happen. But also I think it's making us think like as to go back to the icebreaker, making us all think about how grateful we are for the things that we've got like Ollie said like streaming services and stuff to keep us entertained throughout of it so yeah I think it's made us as community and as like a country a lot more grateful for the little things rather than you know like the streaming services and our family and that thing it's given us a lot of time to think I think like this three weeks uh, long time attention I'm not surprised at all because as you can see 800 900 or even a thousand people die a day and they're probably there will be more lockdown. Like I read the news this afternoon and they say there will be several lockdowns, like four or five ways of lockdown. So everyone should be ready for that. I think the thing that I found really interesting this past kind of couple of weeks or a couple of early research reports out. So Young Minds put one out around how young people with existing mental health issues are finding like the change at the moment. And I think not having school for another three weeks, that's quite um, like, challenge for people who are used to having that routine and that kind of care and the other big thing I think is quite a concern or something to consider I guess is you know in, in a lot of like more deprived areas the summer holidays are a major issue for children getting free meals a day which is why we've got free school meals so I feel like for a lot of people who have like um, like a stable family life and have you know um, one parent working is the, you know the time they can reflect about what they're grateful for but I think for a lot of young people this extended period is going to be like really quite concerning about how they're going to access support and how what's kind of there to provide for them so I think that that's in the back of my head like that that takes them to the six-week holiday which is normally quite concerning for a lot of regions for young people so yeah I think I'm not surprised it's happened but I think that's one of my concerns about how people will kind of be finding it. Yeah, because I think the government might, I, I get why they had to keep it in like three week intervals, because I know from going to a school in South London, I know there will be people who will be pretty angry if they got, if they straight up got told that lockdown was increased for about two months. So I think it's just sort of like those interval of three months, I mean, three weeks, it's just sort of like, it helps to like let it sink in a little bit, but I guess it gives young people time to sort of adjust to it, and it will also give like give us a chance to like see how everyone else is doing, and it give us more time to just think about what we can do using this time wisely, and not just use it as like an extra holiday before the summer, I guess. Yeah, like there's some positive stuff. Sport England said that um, more young people are exercising as part of like a regular part of their life than ever before. And I think that's true for all of us. Like that hour outside is like really precious. So I think 
and social media stuff like Darren was saying like loads of people are on social media which is great but I think what's really interesting is people are calling people more than ever like I've had more phone calls with friends and families in the past few weeks than I've had in like a year maybe two years like it's so, it's so weird so I think how things move forward after this is going to be really interesting with social media because I think a lot of people are used to actually connecting with the people in a different way that's yeah, interesting. it's definitely all about progression because like for me I, I i've been in lockdown a little bit longer than when schools were shut because my sister came down with an illness that was very similar to it um and it's just kind of become uh the norm for me so i'm much more used to um being inside and uh, using uh, social media and um, kind of interacting with people on a more digital basis now and it almost seems like this works a little bit better like with my uh, youth parliament meetings in dorset they are fully virtual um, and although lockdown has been extended, it's not really having as detrimental of an effect as many people may be thinking. All you need to remember is to stay inside. Um, yeah, also, I think the extra three weeks has been a really good wake-up call for people to realise that they need to start say, staying in. Like, I think it has kind of jolted that attitude that it's not just going to end. I think it's been quite interesting to see how people are now deciding to really stay inside and follow the guidelines. Okay, so we've discussed sort of how we feel about the lockdown. Um, I'm perhaps looking to some decision makers as well as the pioneers for this. How do you actually think that the government are approaching it in terms of social media, perhaps saying things that you've noticed and then that gives us a chance to sort of give some feedback, so to speak. So how, how do we think I think that they're actually doing really well. I, I know that young people um, at the start, especially, I thought that people my age were thinking, oh, you know, it's not that much of a big deal. And I think they're doing a really good job at, not in an aggressive way, but almost just saying, you know, it is important. And I've noticed that we've been targeting young people on things like Snapchat and TikTok, to like platforms that young people use frequently to put adverts about social distancing and the importance of staying at home. So yeah, I think they're doing a really good job to reach all age groups and especially to get the importance of like social distancing and stuff over to young people. I think so they've done good. a great a great job of um of kind of really dominating at the, at the moment and I guess that that is a bit of a given given you know um, that it's on everybody's minds but um it's the first time I've seen the government be able to get messages out I think to um pretty much everybody um through through sort of digital channels and it's quite refreshing. Um, that, that the content's quite relevant as well for, for audiences. Plus the content in the advert itself, like I think everyone has, oh well, all the young people have seen the advert where it's um, the guy who's with his two mates yeah. and he's got really, really mild coronavirus symptoms, um, like to the point that he's not even noticing it, but it's almost that, it's that kind of ramming home, like yes, although you may not be really negatively impacted by it, the people around you may be. And I think that advert in particular is so powerful and I'm seeing it on all my social medias at the moment. And I, th I think something that's, that's really good is that generally a lot of the uh, particularly local authorities around the country have been really good at keeping the messages quite sort of short and succinct and simple and doing some really exciting stuff on social media just to engage with people of all ages and get that message out there and do it in sort of graphics and animations and everything that's that is really that kind of short and concise. 
um, so it cuts through um, and isn't like lots of boring information out there that's difficult to consume. Yeah, because I know like I've been watching a lot more YouTube lately and like I've been seeing adverts about not only about like social distancing and what to do at home, but I've been seeing for mine especially and on like a group chat with my friends, it's like they're sharing pictures of how there's like exercise photos, exercise tutorials to join in. And I mean, after looking at them, I'm pretty horrified because my body is hurting. Like I've been keeping up with exercise too much. My body's hurting. I can't, it horrifies me to see another workout tutorial that lasted for half an hour. But for like other people, I think it, sh- it, it might have that like, inspiring effect to know that young people can still keep up that routine. They can still look after their physical and mental health. And uh, it just shows that they're not alone. And like everyone else is going through the same situation right now. And I guess like that little bit of like just joining in like a big exercise tutorial, it sort of like brings the community together. Yeah, it's interesting that any brand or like even apps like House Party, anything that offers a community, anything at the moment seems really popular, like watching watch parties or doing stuff together and sport and self-improvement is another area that apparently has been like used through social media like content's really popular um for like gen z and millennials at the moment just i guess finding a hobby like cooking or just looking to do stuff like the the painting you mentioned before Travone, like having time to actually do something different um so it's really interesting i don't think we'll go back to a new like a normal before i think it's just like what we take from this experience i think it's gonna be interesting I have to say, um, I do have some criticisms, perhaps, of the government's approach and that it's not necessarily the most inclusive in terms of easy read or possibly to SEND, especially are they, as they are the most vulnerable people. And I was wondering what your take was on that. I think that it's, it's, I think they don't have, this is coming from a young person's perspective, obviously, who has limited knowledge on uh, what they are doing in relation to sentiment. But I think that it is so important that we reach out to young people who have special educational needs because most of them are still actually having to go into school and they may not have that kind of understanding of the importance of social distancing. And there's nothing really in place to kind of help them to understand it. It's more about, it, it, that, it, it raises the question of how do you help a young person with SEND to understand the importance of social distancing and staying in lockdown. Yeah, I don't even think they've probably even thought about accessibility in the way they should, like with a lot of other campaigns to have that time to think about those elements. Not That's not an excuse that they shouldn't, they shouldn't have, but I just think they'll have rushed so much out, like even down to their branding, which they just couldn't decide on for the first few weeks, those first three briefings. And they kept on changing from the bright yellow to something else and slightly different messaging. And um, I think the messaging is starting to settle now, but I still think they're kind of a little bit all that from a campaign perspective. They are, it's a little bit raw and it's a bit fast and furious, to be honest. I think that has been a big problem that there's been so many messages to get out by so many different organisations. And most people I know who have been working in communications have been working like 12 hours days and there's just so much stuff to get out there that it's difficult to kind of get those kind of targeted messages out and I think it's only over the next three weeks or so that we'll start to see those messages get more targeted to different audiences. Yeah and this week I've noticed more of a slight shift in the tone of news coverage as well so it's all been really positive and like the kind of emergency hospital wards and all the rest of it but reading some of the articles now it's like a doctor leaked a letter saying, well, actually, 
to actually get into hospital, that trust would need to provide the equipment and the staff and and being a bit more um, critical of the campaign and the actual response to the virus. So I think we're going to see more over the next kind of few weeks around being a bit more, not cynical, but a bit more normal news, like challenging the government and asking those questions. So I think at the moment, to start with, it was just a bit like, how are we going to get through this? And I think we'll see a bit more pushback. So I think issues like this should be kind of pushed forward, really. Yeah, I think up until this point, my party politics has kind of stayed out of the conversation as well. I think everyone's tried to, you know, walk a line and, and be very kind of constructive in the arguments. It's, it's almost in our country's nature that that might start to kind of ebb away in the coming weeks as this goes on for longer. Um, and hopefully that won't happen, but historically that always kind of seems to slip back to the old norms. No, we need to hold government to account. I mean, like, that's kind of natural. I think it's a positive, it's a sign of normality that we're less shell-shocked and that next three weeks we can kind of have that debate and, um, you know, disagreement because I think that's healthy, especially in the news, like certain people responding badly to being challenged in the news is never great. So, yeah, it's good to have that, I think. One of the things I'm quite interested in is obviously we've all got our own preferred sources of news and credible news and who we trust. Um, you know, or rather who we don't trust. And it's it's plotting a path through that, isn't it, and working out. Now we're into the kind of second phase of the lockdown. Uh, I think you're right, we are we are questioning stuff more. You know, personally as a business owner, I want to know more about the what next. I don't necessarily need the detail, but, you know, a rough roadmap of what's the plan? Because, you know, is it going to be another three weeks after this? Are we talking about schools not going back to September? I think businesses and people, and especially young people with uh, the pressures on, and, and issues that, that, that contend with right now, we need more detail about what comes next. And I think we should be trusted with that information. We got the message, and the vast majority are observing the isolation, you know, washing hands, only exercising for an hour a day. I think the vast majority of the public are doing that, and young people are doing that. Um, I think we need to be trusted with the what comes next. And so, I'm hopeful that those messages will start emerging over the next couple of weeks. But I suppose I'm quite interested to know from people in the chat, you know, where, where do you get, you know, where, who do you trust to, to give you accurate news that you find credible and, and informative and, and helpful? I think what sort of young people are mainly sort of trusting are those adverts. And I think there have been, sort of bringing it back to social media a bit more, there have been some like really striking sort of posts done from doctors and shop workers that have really made you think about your actions and maybe go well maybe this this is the right idea maybe we do need this and I think it has been a really hard time especially for the government to have to deal with a lot of the criticism that they're getting not have criticizing them for not doing things fast enough is the main one and I think that is one of the more negative sides of social media at this time but sort of talking more positively how do we think the government are catering their social media presence to obviously like we were saying earlier people with SEN perhaps promoting apps and lesson formats that could help them learn best if they're at home in an environment where to them they don't connote that with a learning environment um, or perhaps even are they not doing enough and what can we say today to inspire them to make their social media um, presence more impactful and I think uh, I'm going to lead on from what Star was saying a little bit there. It's how can you 
as young people best to use uh, social media to help kind of spread that kind of truthful news, that positive news, like the stuff that comes directly from the government. Because yes, they're doing all this advertising on the importance of social distancing, but it might be worth kind of creating a, so they have more advertising campaigns because even advertising campaigns that young people have done in Dorset, such as when Stasi actually did one as well, those advertising campaigns are probably one of the best ways to reach young people because most young people do use those social media, such as Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, TikTok. And there is this kind of, it's, it's evolved massively where not, not many people will be reading newspapers to get their news. Not many people will be watching the news to get their news. They'll either go online or they'll go on social media. And if the government aren't doing something to help promote their their true news, like the actual stuff that is scientifically proven, you've got all this uh, kind of fake news and quack news going around. Sorry, quack news is obviously the uh, meaning of something that isn't true in any way, but people believe it. And that's going around and that's just causing mass hysteria and mass panic. And you need to have a kind of a balance in it, would you not think? Yeah, I think it's really interesting around how a government would use, like, I guess, meme accounts as kind of quite big media players on Instagram now. Like, I know in the States, political campaigns are doing that now with, like, big um, rights holders. And there's quite a few that have, um, I guess, they're kind of like media companies now on Snapchat and Instagram. And I think you could get some really relatable, slightly humorous, but, like, gentle nudges about good practice and kind of, I think when it goes too informative and it's like an official government message that turns a lot of people off like people like even my children who are six and eight if they watch anything on like an um, itv player there's a joke around how many times that that advert comes up because they're kind of so used to seeing it at every ad break now so they're like and my son even said there's a playmobil advert on we're looking at birthday stuff quite an aside he was like there's not a coronavirus set yet and i was like oh my god like i think the, the message around the coronavirus is definitely landing but I think meme accounts are a way that you could get um, like reminders and kind of good behaviour things out to a lot of an audience quite quickly. They don't have to be too slick and well designed. But the biggest thing here would be actually involving people in that content creation rather than them saying, hey, this would be cool. Like they've got they don't have the, the luxury of going to loads of agencies and involving lots of people at the moment. They could do a really good way of getting young people to share a positive message. Um, and I would say using young people you know collaborating with them to kind of get that out um would be the best way to do that okay i think that's a really good point i work for one of the um nhs organizations in dorset and in the past we've done um work with local young people when we're trying to reach younger audiences with messaging and i used to think i was young but i'm not anymore <laughs> and i think we just have to accept that we really need to be in touch with our audiences and and learn from them and and actually i'd be really interested to know what more we can do because we know we can do more um and we obviously have a responsibility to make sure that we are getting uh, messages to young people, that we are trying to influence and change behaviours early on, um, and also giving young people a voice. Um, so I'd be really interested to hear what more we could do and what, what sort of message needed as well. Yeah, actually, um, a few years back, um, I, ran, I was a member of Youth Parliament in 2018, and um, I made a campaign called Stasia Says. Basically, it was to help with people suffering from exam stress. And um, basically we just created some videos um, and it was talking about top tips to like distressing before exams and after exams results day and how like revision. And I made it with loads of my friends. And um, yeah, in total, I think it got something like 2 million engagements, which weren't through like paid advertisement and like 
lots of people came to me and said like it really helped them and it even got picked up on Good Morning Britain as well so yeah I think kind of shows that social media engagement can be really important for young people and to have those little um, I don't know clips and little bits of information rather than long lengthy official videos and um, little like hints and tips and stuff to help rather than like as I don't remember who said it, I think one of the decision makers said like not big long articles and government videos that can make it more engaging for young people. I think about being authentic I know it's a word that you use a lot but I was on a call with them um, some the marketing manager for BBC Three this week because again one of my cases is this workshop me and Dan put together actually and um, I was talking to them about how do they test messaging like to reach target audience and for them it's not always about like huge metrics they were saying like it has to be so they were doing something called the rap game and they were saying we involve like local artists that were really relevant to a BAME audience listening to rap music rather than them in the office going do you know what would be cool guys like she was like it would be totally irrelevant she said, all our own channels were irrelevant so we looked at who was creating like grime tv and some other things and really specific very targeted influencing not just like hashtag ad let's get an influencer so I think if you're anything to target young people rather than just saying like a blanket you can have like the blanket let's catch all but I think looking at really specific communities or groups and looking at who who they actually follow and who they're actually engaging with is the best way to like actually land a message and to be authentic throughout so the key thing for her when we were talking about it she was like we didn't want to then do, use an in-house designer so when the conservatives for example first went on instagram maybe two years ago they were like i'm going to engage young people it's going to be amazing it's going to be so great and then all the first like maybe 30 posts were of gray-haired men sat reading like um, folders and it was the most bizarre like why would anyone care like no one cares I don't think even men with red hair who like folders would care like it's about thinking about what's in it for me and I think with any comms that's like basic comms standard but yeah I think from an MCS point of view I think you can see on the social medias that we do so much of it is is user content so it's young people and trying to push their voice into that space so similar to what Rebecca said and I kind of completely advocate that and I think some of the stuff we've done recently um, is we started doing our own podcast as well so youth rising on many different kind of areas that are just topical really and just out there for young people but like many people have said a lot of us are quite old and it is much more relevant to get what is relevant to young people from young people it sounds simple um, but it, it tends to work for NCS and to be honest, since we've kind of moved across into like one social, um, we have got some really, really kind of big wins in, in regards to the social media um, side of things. And some of our filters and Snapchat, like the kind of pickup rate and how long pe young people stay on them is, is really, really high. So it's definitely usable. Um, and we find it's by far our best way of engaging with young people across the country. So, um, and I think the other thing is having worked with quite a few universities and we had like um, youth ambassadors for different channels, and whatever, is not just to wheel someone in that just happens to be younger than you and go, what do we do? It's about like speaking to a community of young people. Like I, I really have a problem when we go young people and then like someone's nephew gets dragged in and they're like, oh, um, I like this. It's like, wow, you're a different person. So it, I think it goes back to that demographic, like, okay, we want to connect young people on this medicine course like so what are they into and trying to be like we would with any audience um so yeah i think it's just about having that mindful um consideration and in fact the bbc3 she was saying their youth panel wasn't relevant to the rap game target audience so they had to look outside of that and i think constantly challenging yourself about 
who is that end person and reverse engineering it rather than like there's nothing sadder um, than a group of millennials saying what was cool in 2015 was this let's do that so yeah I think constantly kind of challenging yourself and trying to find that end user you're speaking to is like the perfect process. And I think coming back to the point about being, uh, that I think Rebecca was making about being authentic, that that's so important. So one of the things that has worked best um, at Wandsworth Council that went down really well on Twitter and Facebook was basically doing a video with one of the binmen, and that went down really well across all ages. And then that's the kind of thing you can translate offline. So we're um, basically getting the younger audiences to do thank you messages on recycled cars and put it out for the, uh, for the binmen. So that takes the social media offline, but then we bring it back online where we've got like kids and kind of um, uh, sort of really young kids, like two-year-olds, three-year-olds clapping, all that kind of thing. And it builds a really nice campaign and just gets really good engagement. Yeah, I think the um, clap for carers has been quite a great movement. I mean, my nan who doesn't use a lot of social media, she's only on um, Facebook, found out through messages chains that were sent through her friends. Um, so the reach that um, it's had is quite amazing really and whenever we go out on the street we've got our streets quite small but we've got everyone coming out from all of their houses banging on tin pans and clapping and yelling and cheering and it's been quite great because while we've all been stuck inside to be able to go out and see each other and have a wave to the neighbours you haven't seen maybe for a week is great um, to see that yeah everyone's coming together and clapping for such a great cause and that everyone has found out about it through some sort of social media I would assume. It's also that sense of community as well, even offline. I think I've I've lived in I live in a cul-de-sac and I've lived here for just over two years and I've seen and met neighbours from afar that I've never seen before in two years. And I've lived, you know, there's only about 40 houses in this street. So I think it's that's enabled you to kind of just look around and maybe slow down a little bit as well. Yes, connecting family on social media. I don't know about you guys, but like literally every relative like, how do I do this Instagram thing? Like, I want to see pictures of you and know stuff. And then my mum's like my biggest, I'm like, stop liking everything. It's so needy. But I think it's about like them. I have not doing TikTok yet, but I've been doing it with the kids. And it's just, I guess it's introducing them to social platforms that they probably wouldn't be that interested on. Um, and yeah, my dad's even like, he's obsessed with TikTok, which is really disturbing, but it's quite funny. And I think it's just nice that people are trying trying stuff out and looking to connect with people and everyone's on house party which is just bizarre that I've got old relatives asking to have house party quizzes and stuff but it's quite fun. And then on that you, you know you've got the technology that we're using every day I mean like Zoom's my best friend these days it's quite sad really but I dropped uh, I dropped my daughter a message and she's 14 and said hey sweetheart would you like to have a, a Zoom chat at the weekend and she said why and I said you know so we can have a conversation she's like oh that'd be like so awkward and so just just assuming that young people want to use this technology with my generation for example it's it's you know it's not automatically there maybe that's just my daughter maybe she's not representative but yeah i think i think it's different age groups and cultures are just really colliding at the moment and there's some really interesting stuff coming out of it i reckon make a tiktok account and uh, try and come up in her for you page and then see how she reacts to that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So now, for moving from TikTok, decision makers, as a collective, we voice pioneers, 
we came up with a few tips on what decision makers should do and businesses should do in order to try and engage more young people and how to effectively use social media. So I think the first tip. So the first tip was about uh, using a variety of platforms and ask what young people like to use. So uh, when you're talking about using, for example, a service such as LinkedIn, uh, which I don't think anyone under the age of 50 is currently on, then it's not going to be quite as good at reaching a younger audience. Whereas if you're using something that we use frequently, such as TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat, it will work much more efficiently. Uh, the second tip we have is like listen and act on what young people say. Be active because like social media, it requires you, you must be active so you can reach out more young people. Be kind and human. Tip number three is to make sure that you've proof all your posts. We don't want long sentences or jargon because it can just make it harder to understand. And for anyone that might have send or just not enjoy reading long posts, they're not probably not going to read it all and they won't get the importance of the messages. And it's definitely a thumbs up for any pictures or gifts and appropriate jokes are really great. And I think our fourth tip is to not be afraid of the technological future and to also ask us for help because we are the so-called technological generation. So why not use what, what we know, what we've grown up around? Um, so sort of just don't be afraid of adapting your services and then especially don't be afraid of making that change permanent. Because right now is the perfect time to experiment with new ways. It's the time to start experimenting with Zooming things because it can just help your business and your company so much more in the future. And it means that now at a time where you probably don't have much else to do, you've got the opportunity to start actually engaging with young people. And I think a lot of us will agree that that is a really exciting thing, or at least it should be exciting because we have a lot to give. And so sort of to end the podcast, I'd like to open it up to our decision makers and ask them if they have any tips for businesses. I know NCS, we've complimented you earlier. A lot of you work in communications. Is there any other tips that you want to give? I think for me, I would just certainly advocate youth voice. I think if you can get young people into the conversation and really just make them part of it, it will really improve the outcomes for what you're trying to deliver to that kind of demographic. And there's that would be my number one tip, I think, is just get more young people involved in that process. I think for me, and I know we've already mentioned this, but it's just really knowing your audience and the, and really not making any assumptions because um, we're all good at making assumptions. Um, and it's the worst thing we can do. We just need to know our audiences really, really well. Yeah, look at that. Uh, um, ways you can kind of um, personalise communications. So we're looking at an app, a new app called Community. Um, quite a lot of influencers and I guess individual celebrities are using it, but I think there's potential for brands more and organisations to use it to kind of have that. You can like text in and have that direct comms and personalise it. So I think in a time where everything's a little bit upside down, you've got like time to be a bit creative and try new things. So I think look at ways you could introduce new kind of channels or new content even things like tiktok which are a bit fun not necessarily having a big tiktok profile but using that you know like look at liverpool doing stuff on roblox liverpool are really huge as a football club are really big on um, tiktok as well so i think it's using that humor on your other platforms they can kind of work together a little bit so yeah be experiment yeah i think definitely doing lots of different things and i think often as kind of communicators a bit a bit older we tend to use i suppose facebook and twitter as our our go-to platform so i think it's thinking about how we can use snapchat 
how we can use Instagram, all the things that younger people are using and have those as part of our business as usual um, and use those all the time going forward. I think that's a really good point, Dominic. I mean, it's always been the case, hasn't it? You know, this was the case when we were taught this 25 years ago at uni that, you know, you use the right channels at the right time with the right message to the right audience. And the channels have changed over the years, but actually the tactics is, should still be the same. It's, you know, understand the audience and, and, and what they're interested in. And, uh, you know, so I think uh, it was uh, Ollie, wasn't it, that was, was dissing LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn isn't the place for many of the messages we're talking about right now. But actually, if, you, if you're looking for work right now, the stat is that 80% of jobs are not advertised these days. So having a really strong profile and a network on LinkedIn is actually really important from a work point of view. But it's niche, you know, it's not going to be the right platform for lots of the messages we're talking about. So, you know, Ollie's absolutely right. So, you know, understand the audiences and uh, really do your homework on, on, on the landscape. There's, there's some nice work being done down. I know a lot of you are based down in Dorset. Uh, BCP Council are doing some really nice stuff in terms of COVID-19 and I've been working with the football club and the manager Eddie Howe and the club captain and I think local businesses like uh, Jimmy's Ice Coffee, that kind of thing and getting those people to share the messages because do you want you know a local councillor sharing the message or do you want the captain of your local football club so I think it's you know and I think organisations are, are getting better at this stuff but we've still got a lot to learn. And I think, you know, the people on this call have got a really important part to play to, to remind us older ones sometimes that there's a better way of doing it and we're all ears and you've got skills. And, and kind of last point for me is you've got skills and, 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 and experience. Uh, monetize it. Don't just do it for free for organizations. Charge them because organizations will pay you for your skills. Yeah, that's another big point. Like, um, I hosted a panel at um, Youth Marketing Strategy in London, like literally a year ago today. And one of the big take homes, like, around don't um, don't give away your services for free. Don't expect young people to work for you for free. Like, I know what you're saying, Trevona, like that experience, and we can offer stuff. But you know, every kind of student group or panel I put together has been a skills based one around either earning or a salary or what's in it for them to progress your career. What can you put down as like, I've done this. I I want to get a role. Um, you know, in broadcasting, I want to, to kind of develop my marketing skills. Um, young people like need those skills for their kind of CV. And um, yeah, I think organisations should be prepared to kind of pay and empower young people to do those things. Some great tips, decision makers. Thank you very much for that. And yeah, I think this is it. I'd like to thank our decision makers uh, once again for coming in, for having the privilege to speak to us and sharing your ideas and thoughts and also like to thank the pioneers that are with us today to join us for the third episode of the podcast and yeah yay <laughs> <Ooh, I laughs> <need. laughs>